HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. During this time, it's more important than ever to support our friends and neighbors in the restaurant industry. Restaurant Workers Community Foundation has set up a national COVID-19 crisis relief fund. The money they raise will provide direct relief to individual restaurant workers, support other nonprofits serving restaurant workers in crisis, and offer zero-interest loans for restaurants to get back up and running. Visit restaurantworkerscf.org to donate today. And if you need a little extra motivation, you can DM your $20 donation to RWCF's co-founder, John DeBerry, on Twitter, and he'll give you directions for making a signature quarantine cocktail. Donate now at restaurantworkerscf.org. Hey everyone, this is Sari Kamen. I'm the Public Programs Manager at MoFAD. I am conducting an online video interview right now with Alicia Kennedy. She's a journalist based out of Puerto Rico. She's covering uh, the restaurant industry and food from the perspective of living in Puerto Rico, but still talking about what's happening on the ground in the United States. So Alicia, hi. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, so why don't you, you know, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're working on. Sure. Um, so I'm usually a food writer, a food and drinks writer. Um, and right now I'm covering uh, the COVID pandemic, um, trying to kind of center uh, food service workers and um, their needs and their, you know, the, the labor um, rights that have maybe been denied to them in the past and, and also how we can maybe recover from this in a more equitable fashion. Um, I wrote a piece for Plate Magazine that was published yesterday where I, I, I got mostly anonymous um, stories of how different restaurant workers are dealing with the crisis, like how their bosses are treating it, whether seriously or not, whether they're getting paid time off or whether they've been laid off to be put on unemployment, whether their bosses are simply ignoring what's going on. Um, and I have a piece going out for Thrillist, I believe today, where I talk to some small business owners about how their pivots are working for them, how their business pivots are working, like, you know, selling gift cards, selling merchandise, um, and what they're using that money for, and, you know, also how delivery and uh, is working for people who don't usually do delivery. Like, so... Um, trying to figure out what kind of business models are actually functioning best in the crisis. Um, 
And I also am working on a longer lead piece for Refinery29 about about labor rights in, in the restaurant world, um, kind of inspired by both the Tartine union fight in San Francisco and also now um, with this crisis and how so many bar and restaurant owners are basically ignoring their responsibility to their employees completely. Um, and, you know, uh, putting everyone on unemployment is of course a, a valid response, but also like, you know, how can we make it so that in the future, these workers are not kind of left out to dry, especially tipped workers or part-time workers in this industry who are not going to get their full, their full unemployment benefits. Um, So yeah, just kind of like working on labor stuff around this, um, which, which is, it's interesting because I actually wanted to get more into doing labor stuff this year and I didn't, expect it to be like under the circumstances of like a pandemic um but we take what we can (laughs) um yeah so i i'd love to hear a little bit more about each of those pieces and kind of like what you are learning um but before we do that can you just tell us a little bit about like what your life is like right now like what's happening on the ground in puerto rico yeah. yeah so we only have eight confirmed cases here on the island right now but um we the government here has been taking a lot more precautions than it seems a lot of city governments in the United States have. Um, everything was basically shut down as of Sunday night. Um, and in the time since, it's it's been getting a little bit more intense about making sure people are staying in their homes. Like for the first few days of this, there were still a lot of tourist groups walking around. They weren't really social distancing at all. Um, these were generally Americans. Um, and uh, it, was, it was a little scary and unnerving. So, uh, even though I have a dog who has to go out and even though, you know, like for the most part, because you, for the most part, Puerto Ricans are taking it seriously and, and there is social distancing and, you know, there's still coffee shops open. So it's like, you know, you want to try and support those places staying open and like maintain some sense of normalcy. But at the same time, it's getting a lot more intense because of these people who weren't following any rules. And, and now the cops are out there like being like, get in your house, get in your house. Um, <laughs> like this morning, uh, walking my dog, uh, we got sent home because I don't know the cops just wanted us to go home and it's like, you know, uh, the dog still needs to go out. So, but now I'm like, Oh, every time I go outside now the cop is going to send me inside, <laughs> which, um, yeah, it's, it's no way to live. But I mean, for me, I'm a freelancer. So my life is mostly unchanged. You know, I'm like, I'm busier now. Um, cause I'm, I'm doing reporting on this and you know, uh, I'm actually, I'm cooking worse <laughs> because I'm so busy. So, you know, it's like, I'm not as good as a cook as I usually am, but uh, I'm a busier writer. So that's something, I don't know. <laughs> but like, I mean, what are, what are the expectations as far as like going outside? Because I mean, obviously your, your dog has to get walked. And like, I mean, I would think that there's some understanding that that's like, there's certain rituals that can't stop. Yeah, and I mean, and from what I've seen in terms of like the protocols that have been going out, like all these little graphs about like what you can do, what you can't do, what and um, going for a walk is fine, you know, and you know, maintaining distance from other people is fine. So um, I think they're being a, a bit um, overly, I don't know, um, they're just being cops, you know, <laughs> so like, they're just, uh, they're being, you know, overly strict about, about this, I think. But, you know, at the same time, it, I, I would be really nervous if I were still living in New York right now. Um, 
I don't know how I would, I would have acted last week. Uh, I don't know like what the information is like that people are getting. I mean, obviously I'm online all the time. So it's like, I know, I've, you know, I've seen what's happened to Italy, like as of last week and, you know, I've seen what's happened to other European countries and the, and the, the measures they're taking and, uh, and how seriously they're taking this. And so I, yeah, I'm, I'm nervous for my family on Long Island where there there's, you know, the cases are steadily increasing. Um, but Cuomo has set up some drive through uh, testing centers, but n no one I know has any symptoms so far, knock on wood. But, um, I mean, the hardest part of it for me definitely is like being away from my family right now. Um, but at least I know that I'm in a place that's kind of taking it seriously. So, yeah. yeah. Why do you think there's just such a disparity in the way that the Puerto Rican authority is, is handling this, handling the measures versus the way that, you know, Americans in large cities where the numbers are high, where we don't have like shelter um, right. at this point? I, um, I mean, the government here is not good, um, and we're still under, you know, the United States as the federal government as a colony of the United States. But um, this, I, there are all sorts of hypotheses around why they're actually taking it seriously. Um, but I do think, you know, they they let in cruise ships where there were infected patients, and so that's how we have like. A, a few of the, the cases of infected people. Um, and it's true that just having gone through a recent crisis and, and with Hurricane Maria makes people, I think, a bit more conscious of how, how things can go really poorly, really quickly. Um, and, you know, and the, you, there's also more people here maybe paying attention to the news in Europe versus in the United States. Um, so sorry, I also didn't mean to apply that Puerto Ricans weren't Americans. I just meant the oh, way. Oh no, 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 no! I mean, I, 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 Americans in a very second-class fashion. Yeah. I call them this. But um, so the yeah, I think all these factors kind of combine to make it a more serious circumstance. Um, but at the same time, I mean, the government response in terms of like whether um, employers are need to pay for paid time off or like what the tax situation is going to be for different businesses. Like these things aren't being taken care of really. And the unemployment here is so low. Uh, I think it maxes out at maybe 190 a week. Um, so these things are, we're still in a, t a bad situation um, in terms of like whether people are actually going to be taken care of. But at the same time, the spread is being hopefully staunched by these, these, like measures now so uh, is anyone dealing with this properly uh, south korea <laughs> and that's it <laughs> so <laughs> yeah um what are some of the the big challenges you're facing as a reporter right now because things are moving so fast and so quickly like how are you managing just keeping up with the news cycle in terms of like writing as fast as you possibly could and like things just changing overnight Right. It's really difficult. Um, but the thing is, that I think that's why I'm focusing on kind of more evergreen subjects in, around this, which is, which is, you know, labor rights, the precarity of restaurant work, the low wage wages that are, you know, I mean, in, someone said it to me, a waiter said to me for my piece for plate, um, the food media focuses on the restaurants that are doing well, on the high profile chefs, on the people who are making a lot of money. And like, the fact is, is that most people who work in restaurants are doing not enough money to live to survive they're they're piecing together different different opportunities different different um jobs in order to make a living and, and that one that makes it more difficult for them to get unemployment 
it makes it much more difficult for them to get unemployment that's going to cover their expenses. And so the challenge here, it, it can be that like all these numbers are changing overnight and like there's all these different restaurant groups um, that are advocating for different measures from the government and those things change. But what doesn't change is that this, this labor force has already been overlooked and now people are actually paying attention to food service, which is a positive thing, but I don't know if we're paying attention to it in the right way. So, so just trying to kind of, you know, get the evergreen aspect of this and put it into context for right now um, while people are paying attention to it uh, is I think the only way I can I can deal with it especially because I'm you know I'm not on staff somewhere I don't have the luxury of like taking a, a lot of time to do like more thorough reporting uh, on these things so I mean for me it's actually like a good a good way of, of getting into these issues that I've wanted to get into. Um, I wish it were under better circumstances, but like while people have all their eyes on restaurant labor and hospitality workers, um, I think it's it's a good opportunity to ground the conversation, not in like David Chang or, you know, uh, Danny Meyer, but to ground the conversation in, in what the lives are like already and what they can be in the future for the people who actually cook the food, serve the food, make the drinks, et cetera. Yeah. So that, that's what I'm focused on. Yeah, I mean, what are kind of like the main sort of points that you're trying to highlight as far as the way, as far as ways like the labor, um, as far as ways that the restaurant industry has has failed their workers? I mean, they failed their workers in like so many ways. Um, there, I've talked to, for this Thrillist piece I, I that should go up today, um, you know, I talked to a couple of people who are actually succeeding right now, um, despite everything. Um, this bar in the East Village, Lois, where I actually used to work, um, they they do a no tipping tipping model and hospitality is included. So because of that, they don't rely on the customers to pay their employees. You know, so they're used to having a big payout for payroll every single week, and so and they also have all of their employees on a set schedule. Um, whereas like a lot of these places, you know, it's week to week, whether you know what days you're working, et cetera, how many hours you're going to get. Um, so because of that model where people already know what they're getting paid, the business is used to holding on to a lot of money for payroll. They're actually able to guarantee paid time off for six weeks to oh. all, of their, all of their staff. Um, and another restaurant that's doing well is Otto in Seattle where chef owner Eric Rivera, um, kind of already has a mishmash of, of things going on in his restaurant all the time. You know, they do classes, they do tastings, they do tasting menus, they do brunch. So it's like, you know, it's not just a menu that a place that you go to, to do the 20 course tasting menu with wine pairings um, and then never go back to again. Like maybe you go there to have like a funny pop-up that's themed or you go there to have brunch like on a normal weekend. But, and because of that kind of like, creative model. He's been able to, you know, turn to, you know, delivering pantry ingredients, doing pop-ups where people are, you know, you can buy a $9 bowl of food or, you know, for more well-off clients, like they can spend $95 um, for a few meals and a, and a bottle of wine. Um, and so like having that dexterity is, has worked for him and he's actually being, he's been able to move some of his employees from part-time to full-time during a, a pandemic when most restaurants are laying people off. What are they uh, doing? And so he's, uh, and he's still on target to start providing health insurance for employees 
a couple of months. Um, so basically like the owners who have already had this model and this ethos of like, we're creative and we care about our employees have done really well. I mean, that's of course, a lot of places are still struggling because these are incredible circumstances. Um, and it doesn't mean that they don't care about their employees or have a good business model. But at the same time, I think this is really showing the cracks in what is the traditional restaurant model where the customer is basically responsible for how much all these employees make. Um, there are no health benefits. There's no paid time off. There's not a lot of transparency. There's no human resources departments where, you know, people can advocate for themselves. There's no unions where people can advocate for themselves. So I think that these, these cracks are showing where a lot of work needs to be done in the restaurant industry to make it actually a viable workplace. I mean, we're in a, in a place, in the economy and in, in the culture where people are career bartenders, are career cooks, are career servers, and that should be paid as as such. It should be paid like as as though these people have an expertise because they do. And instead we treat it as low wage work that's that gets, you know, tipped based on whoever walks in and, and what kind of day they're having. And that's um that's what has to stop. I mean that's gonna make is it going to make eating out like more of a special occasion in most cases? Probably. But um, I'm hoping, like my hope is that in, in writing these pieces, like to kind of show this, this disparity and these, these problems. And then um, in the refinery 29 piece that I'm reporting, like find what are the solutions to this? Like, how do we, how do, how do you make this workforce that is clearly so, um, huge and so like should be powerful um, how do you actually make them have a voice in their own day-to-day -day lives yeah I mean do you think that the responsibility should all be on the employers or do you think yeah. like it, it makes sense for the government to get involved at this point like going forward in a future model at this point for sure the government needs to get involved um, in terms of like rent freezes, bill freezes, utility freezes, um, tax freezes for businesses and sales tax. Um, and also like in the, I mean, for me personally, like Medicare for all should, should be, a, you know, the employer shouldn't have to pay for healthcare for their employees. Um, that's a, too big a burden on restaurants where the margins are too thin, but also like, why does that mean that restaurant employees, which, you know, provide so much luxury to people don't get health insurance. That doesn't make any sense. So, um, you know, there are a lot of different government, governmental and regulatory ways in which um, this situation can change and, and work better for people. But um, I mean, I don't see them happening under the current current rule. Um, and so uh, I think it just it requires a real restructuring of how restaurants work uh, when we all come back from this. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, um, the reporting that you did for your plate story uh why so many of the servers that you spoke to chose to remain anonymous when these issues are so kind of like universal within the industry you'd think that like there would be you know not so much fear about speaking out about things that so you know are, are so critical in this moment they're so critical and they're so important and they are so universal basically but at the same time people are afraid you know that they're not going to be able to get a job again if they're going to be labeled a problem employee and then that's it they're they're out and and this is what what they know this is what they do um and i think there is a lot of fear of retribution because of that lack of power that these workers have like they you know they're not getting paid real um sustainable wages they're they don't have Healthcare, they don't have a union, they don't have um, human resources in most cases, they don't have anyone to go to um, to talk about these things. And so 
in opening up this anonymous kind of space where people can at least tell their stories, um, it seems one like cathartic, but it also seems kind of the only way to really report on these things. I mean, I think it's, it can be challenging, especially like a lot of newspapers have policies around off the record or anonymous sources and that sort of thing. But at the same time, like who does that favor? That favors the people who have the power and have the money. And so I'm really appreciative of having spaces where I, you know, I can give a, give a voice to people who are just afraid um, to speak out because they, they're going to lose their livelihoods, their families will lose their livelihoods. Um, and it, it's just really important. And, and obviously, the more the system changes, the more that um, we make restaurant work and bar work equitable for workers, um, the more that'll change, the more workers will actually be less afraid to come forward and say, hey, you know, I mean, look at what happened with, I mean, Harvey Weinstein, you know, look at me, you know, these and Mario Batali to speak about our industry, like it didn't come out until it was safe to come out. Um, I mean, and it's going to be more impactful if people feel more empowered and start using their their names and their voices. I think it would be, but at the same time, I mean, I, I can't make that decision for them and, and they need to make that decision. And so I think it will, if we can create a groundswell of, of people talking about these issues, the way that the Me Too movement um, created such a, a significant groundswell of voices that couldn't be ignored. Um, it, it's, it's another similar situation of like, we can't, we have to talk about the abuse here and and not all of this abuse is physical tangible verbal even it is just in terms of the the structures that manage people's everyday lives and and control them and so um i think that if we can create spaces where people feel comfortable and heard and um and know that they are important that the, the conversation can change. And, and then maybe people will feel more comfortable having their, their names out there. But I mean, right now it's, it's scary. It's a scary situation. Um, people don't wanna have us come out of this into the same restaurant landscape or, and where they still don't have the rights or any hope of, of real um, uh, like equitable working conditions and and be have have been labeled someone who is is willing to go talk to journalists and, and that sort of thing. I mean, I already had one person tell me she's like, I've gotten in trouble before for talking to a journalist. So I don't want to do it. Um, and that's understandable. That's understandable. And but we need to create a con conditions where people aren't afraid to speak out about injustice. So yeah, um, I know you are busy writing, so I don't know much how much time you have to read the right. food media that's that's out there right now. But like from your perspective, what do you? How do you think things could sh should shift, or if they should shift, in terms of like what where the focus is at right now? Um, I mean, I've seen some really good. Eater has been doing great stuff, um, but at the same time, there's a huge focus on restaurant chefs on, you know, on the people on top, on the people that, that maybe the names are known and that sort of thing. And I, and I think that, that the Washington Post also has done good stuff um, in terms of like centering different voices. But um, I, I think right now the people who are really suffering are the people who've lost all of their wages, who don't know when unemployment is going to come, who don't know how they're gonna make rent on April 1st. Um, you know, I, I'm not gonna shed a tear for Danny Meyer, who is worth hundreds of millions of dollars and just laid off 2,000 um, 
lower wage workers. Um, it's just not going to happen. So um, we have to, in the, in the food media, make sure we're centering the people who need um, advocacy right now. And I know that that's a tricky word in our, our business, but I mean, advocacy uh, is probably the wrong word. It's, it's probably, it's just the people who need justice right now, um, who, who've lost everything and, and can't just go out and get another job or can't get an endorsement deal from Sweetgreen. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's the people who need, who need the help right now. So, um, you live in Puerto Rico, so, you know, you're not doing a lot of like face-to-face -face interviews anyway, probably with, um, you know, chefs that are over in the United States, but what, what are the strategies that you've been using to try and like connect with people as quickly as possible since, you know, there is like social distancing and, and you know, all the different <laughs> barriers at this point? Right. Well, luckily I have a pretty decent social media network. Um, and also know a lot of people in the industry. So I've been doing, uh, one thing I started um, after I did the plate piece was a Google survey um, for food service workers to fill out, which I'm basically just using as a resource to um, both kind of take the temperature of, of where people are and like what kinds of things are happening and also to, uh, you know, as to collect, you know, to, to collect data and also to, um, uh, research this piece for Refinery29. Um, and so like I'm gathering a lot of information from a lot of different people and like just hopefully getting a lot of geographic diversity in there and, and like diversity around like the positions people have in restaurants. And then I'm going to follow up and do like phone interviews so that it can and actually have like some contact with people. Um, and yeah, just like Instagram, um, just, you know, trying to pay attention. Um, yeah, people have been coming to me a lot via DM or via email because I put this out there and just been like, yeah, I just want to share my story about this or I want to share my husband's story and, and that sort of thing. And um, so that's been good. It's been good to be, and I think being able to do anonymous sourcing, again, like helps people feel like they, they can trust what's going to happen because they don't, they don't have to necessarily put their lives on the line for it. Um, so yeah, just kind of like, I, this is, you know, it's emerged out of, it's not emerged out of nowhere, but this week has, has been a big one. So um, just trying to organize as organize my information as much as possible. And, and yeah, the Google form has helped with that. And, and luckily a lot of people I know shared it, a lot of people in the industry shared it. So um, just collecting a lot of information about how, what people need and what people are getting right now. Yeah. Um, for people watching this who want to support uh, workers that have been laid off and businesses, what are some really meaningful ways that we can help? Uh, I think the the most meaningful way at this point, I mean, of course, if you have a favorite restaurant or a bar that you go to all the time and they have a specific, um, you know, tip jar or gift card or, or, you know, buy merchandise, et cetera, like do that if you have the money. But I think... Um, a part of this right now is that we're all kind of scared about what the economy is going to look like soon. And, you know, so many workers are being laid off in different fields that it can feel a bit precarious um, for everybody uh, financially. So I think the best way is to be talking to your representatives um, and tell them that, uh, you know, what you need, I mean, for whatever industry you work in and also just like, you know, hey, what are we doing for small business? What are we doing for workers who've been laid off in industries where they can't go to work anymore? Um, I think that that's the most significant thing that needs to be done is just to like make sure they know that 
people are watching and that people won't relent until some action has been taken that really means something to, to the majority of, of, of people. Um, otherwise, we come back to a world of McDonald's and Subway, so. <laughs> yeah. um, any kind of like predictions of, of what we're going to look like on the other side of this or, I mean, do you, do you feel optimistic in any way that, you know, as, as horrible as these circumstances are, they are highlighting, you know, so many different issues that need to be attended to and, and changed? I mean, that's the only optimism we can have right now, I think, is that uh, all these broken systems are showing their cracks so clear, like just the cracks are enormous or just, you know, that it's gutting um, an entire industry. So yeah, I think that we can come back and fix that. And I, I hope, um, I hope just in the meantime, we can um, make, make sure that everyone knows that they're not alone and that we're, we're, you know, we're all in a similar, if not the same boat um, and, and what, you know, we need to do whatever we can to like make this easier. Yeah. Um, any other kind of like last takeaways from the reporting that you've been doing that you feel like you really want to just share at this point that, you know, we're not necessarily seeing in the headlines? Um, I mean, just that unemployment is not as cut and dried as you think it is, especially in the restaurant industry. So all these people who are just being like, oh, see ya to, to tons of employees and, and saying, go on unemployment, you know, the system is strained. Um, it's taking a long time to, to even uh, apply for or claim benefits. And um, people, especially in the restaurant industry, are not going to necessarily be making the same amount of money that they were making when they were working off of the system. And so it's just a, it's totally inadequate. Um, and so I, I, I think people just need to be mindful of that, that like when they see people saying, oh, we laid everyone off to put them on unemployment and, and like, that's not enough. Like things, there needs to be more effort there. Um, and to support the small businesses who are, who are being transparent about the efforts that they're doing um, to make sure that they're, that the workers who have created their business are continuing to, you know, survive through this yeah. safely. Um, Alicia, how can we keep up with your work? Where can we find you on social? Oh, well, Alicia Kennedy on Twitter, tweeting too much. And then um, Alicia D. Kennedy on Instagram, where I'm a bit more subdued. So like, those are the <laughs> depending things. on what Alicia, a version of Alicia you want. Yeah, which do you, if you want like the full thing, Twitter, if you want like the the much prettier version, it's Instagram. And then Alicia oh, Dash Kennedy. <laughs> Alicia, Alicia <Dash> Unleashed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> com is my website. So yeah. Okay. Thanks, Alicia. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you so much. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.